As you find your seats, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Paul's epistle to the church in Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 5. You know, as we begin this morning, as your preacher, I want you to know that I know sometimes painfully all too well that what God has me marinating in, eventually you, my beloved congregation here at Orangewood, what God has me marinating in, eventually you're going to have to taste. Where He has me, eventually has all of us. And I can just imagine that many of you sometimes think, all right, Lord, will you teach this guy a lesson? We've been tasting this for a while. Can we move on? I imagine sometimes it's got to be painful for you that what God has your pastor marinating in that you have to taste. Sometimes it's painful for me. I got to tell you, I'm like, Lord, come on. These people are probably sick of of seeing what you're doing in and through me. Can we move on? Can we all learn this lesson? Well, this Valentine's Day is going to be a little bit of a different type of sermon. Because I want to focus more on what God has been teaching me through these last 12 months of the ordeal of Katie's cancer of what we have been marinating in. There's an English uh, Puritan named John Bunyan. Uh, Maybe you've heard of one of his most famous works, The Pilgrim's Progress. But he once said to preachers this, he said, preach what you right smartly feel. Sounds English, doesn't he? (laughs) Preach what you right smartly feel. This morning, I'm going to preach what I right smartly feel and beg God's mercy to add His blessing. Because where I've been marinating is what you're about ready to receive. And may God be receive glory. And may we receive joy and encouragement. It's hard. I don't necessarily want to preach this one. But God has pressed upon me it's time. You ready? All right, let's turn to Ephesians 5, verses 25 through 28. It's familiar on Valentine's to talk about love. Specifically, I'm going to talk to husbands, but really it's to all of us. If you're single in here, be of good cheer. We're going to talk about Jesus. This is for you. If you are divorced or widowed or widowed or be of good cheer, we're going to look to Jesus, okay? This is for you. This is God's Word. Every part of it. But for those of you who are husbands, this is really for you. So let's listen to God's holy and errant Word. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Verse 25 that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, 
Husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Let us pray. Father, this morning and every morning that I have the privilege of preaching, I want to write smartly preach what You are teaching me. But Father God, it's not about me. It's about You. It's about Jesus. It's about Your Word. And it's about coming together and worshiping You and being lifted up by You. And so Father God, what I pray this morning is like I pray every morning, but specifically this morning, God, would You give us ears to hear Your voice? Would You give us eyes to see Your Son? Would You illumine our minds to understand Your Word? Would You break our hearts so they beat for You and Your kingdom alone? Would You empower our feet so that we can walk in Your truth as Your people for Your glory? God, I'm... I'm nervous this morning that a message about what I've been marinating in for the last 12 months can taste too much like me, and, and it shouldn't. It should all be about you. So God, the things that I say that are true and contain the good news of Jesus Christ, use those things to make us more like Jesus. And God, the things that I say that are just my opinion or something that I'm marinating in that your people don't need to be marinating in, may may we just spit that out and forget about it. God, I'm here humbly as your son, as your servant, and I desire nothing more than to bring you glory and to lead your people to see the face of Jesus. So come, Spirit, with power and do that for Your glory. Give us joy. Challenge us. Come here so we can smell the aroma of Christ. So that we can taste and see that our God is good. You and You alone receive glory, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. George Mueller was one of those heroes of the faith that when I read about his life and I hear about his exploits and what he did in ministry, sometimes it's kind of like, are you kidding me? I mean, I'm a minister of the gospel, he's a minister of the gospel, but he seemed to do it so well, so right, so beautifully, so winsomely. If you don't know about George Mueller, you should. Really, he lived in the 19th century, in the 1800s in Britain. And he's famous for his heart for the Lord. He's famous for his ministries. And he really is famous for his orphanages that he and his wife Mary would raise up. That George Mueller took seriously that Jesus was concerned with the least of these. And he felt it his personal call to look after those whom the world forgot. But the thing about George Mueller that's amazing is that he never once directly asked for funds. Never. He never once asked for those to contribute to his ministry. He really had this amazing faith that he was going to simply pray that God would provide for all of his needs. And not just his needs, but the orphans that he was trying to feed. And there's amazing stories of of no more food and telling the orphans to line up so that they can have dinner. It's dinner time and there was no dinner to give them and they would just pray and a knock on a door. And a passerby saying, I just feel led. I must give you this food. 
You know, George Mueller never once drew a salary. Now, elders, that's not very biblical, all right? So that's just George Mueller. But that's pretty amazing. And his faith was rewarded. God always met his needs, the orphans' needs, his missions organizations. They never went without. Man, George Mueller, what a hero. Well, Mueller experienced a severe test of his faith on February 6, 1870, when his beloved wife of 39 years married died of rheumatic fever. She hadn't been well for about three years. And the last six days of her life apparently were agony. They were difficult. They were painful. They were horrible. And on March, I'm sorry, on February 11th, Mueller preached his wife's funeral message. And what he decided to use as his text for her funeral message was this Psalm 119.68, which says this You are good, Lord. You are good and do good. So Mueller, preaching his wife's funeral service, is using that text, had three points. Every good preacher is going to have three points. And you're going to ask today why I only have two. But you'll realize in a while, we only have time for two. The first point was this. He said the Lord was good and did good in giving her to me. He said the Lord was good and did good in leaving her so long with me. And then he said amazingly his third point. The Lord was good and did good in taking her from me. He went on to say, help me be perfectly satisfied with your will. It hasn't been as easy for this pastor to say, as Mueller said, this superhero of the faith, that the Lord was good and did good by sending cancer into our family. But over the last 12 months, I've seen that that is true. I'm not saying I'm there fully. I'm not saying that every moment's been, oh gee, this is wonderful, Jesus. Thank you so much. I see you so much clearer. I understand so much more. Yes, this is wonderful. I want you to know that most days through this last 12 months, I would say I would like to go back to where it was. I'd like to erase a lot of the pain. And our story's good with a seemingly great ending. I've learned much about God. I've learned much about marriage in this ordeal. And I've learned much marinating right here about loving in the darkness. And that's what I want to talk about today. Loving in the darkness. The first point is this. You want to follow along with some notes in the bulletin. You'll see an outline there. Loving in the darkness. Loving every spot and wrinkle. Loving every spot and wrinkle. The greatest marital love, my goodness, I just spit all over you, my goodness. That was more than just a little bit, Trent. Man. Let me try this side over here. <laughs> hey, flip the sunglasses down, it might help, you know. I wonder why no one's here.
The greatest marital love I've ever experienced is having the privilege of loving Katie through this ordeal. It's the greatest marital love I've experienced. And I'll tell you why. Because I had the privilege of loving her and not have the ability to fix her. I couldn't fix it. I couldn't fix what was wrong. And I had the privilege of entering in and loving her right where she was. I mean, knowing what her fears were. And maybe after 23 years, knowing her faults. Knowing her fragility and her fallenness. And listen, this is crazy. It's crazy. But, but in a sense, deeply loving her because of that. Because of being able to see the frailty, the fallen nature, the fears. And just right there, being able to enter in and having the privilege of knowing her so vividly and loving her so deeply. And I never experienced this before, but it, it felt more like Jesus' love than any love I've ever given. It really did. It felt like for the first time, maybe I knew a little bit about what it meant to love my wife as Christ loved the church. And there was times in the midst of this where I really could feel God's presence in a sense where He wanted to say, that a boy, Jeff, finally. That a boy. You've learned to love the way I love you. You've learned to love the way I love the church. Have you seen the movie Avatar? Pretty long, but pretty amazing movie. Spend a little extra money. See it 3D. Steven, I see that hand. All right, saw it three times. Amazing. Well, Avatar is kind of a sci-fi, futuristic love story. Life on another planet. Hug planet Earth. We destroyed ours. Uh, God is everything. It's pantheism. There's a lot wrong with Avatar, but I can guarantee you this. You will be entertained. It's a great movie. And one of the things in the movie Avatar which is interesting with these characters is they say this to one another. I see you. And it wasn't like I see you right now. I mean, of course I see you and you see me. But when they were saying to each other, I see you, what they were really saying is I see you for what you are, for who you are, and I love you. Because having the ability to see and still being able to love, that is what C.S. Lewis calls the miracle of love. That's what Lewis says. It says is when we can see each other and see through all of our own enchantments and be real about the disenchantments of life and still love. That is the miracle of love. It's when the facade rolls away. It's when all of what Hollywood might say is love fades to the background. It's when the reality of life is there and you see someone with their failures, their foibles, their spots, or their wrinkles, and you love. I see you. And I love you. Lewis adds, to see in some measure this way is like God... His love and His knowledge are not distinct from one another, nor from Him. We could say about God, listen to this, we could say, He sees because He loves. And therefore loves, although He sees. Lewis always has a way of puzzling me. 
I read him just because I read him. I feel like I'm smarter. I don't care if I get it or not. I'm reading Lewis. Feeling good about that. I'm going to quote him on Sunday. I think what he's saying is this. God sees us. He sees you right now. He sees you for what you are. He, he sees the reality. You're not what you're trying to pretend to be. Not what you hope to be. He sees you for who you are. He sees you for what you are. He sees you in the midst of all your spots and wrinkles. And you ready for this? And he loves you. I recently got a call from a really dear friend of mine. And God just put him on my heart. It was one of those deals where I'm praying for him on a Sunday. And I just was overwhelmed with praying for him and his family. And he's, he's a childhood friend of mine. Uh, we've been having him touch base in a long time. I just had to call him the next day. And I call him and I could call him in a moment. Hey, I just, I just couldn't get over. I just had to pray for you. I just had to pray for your family. Man, I almost got you again. And he, okay, you know, he said, you know, yeah, you know, we just talk surfacey stuff and everything seemed great. The next day he called me and I never heard him cry before. I never heard him wail. I've never heard him ever show weakness. And he said, Jeff, my life is falling apart. I got a wife who can't get out of bed. She's so depressed. I got a son who can't go to high school because he's so depressed. I, I, I have a son who came home from college. He seems to be better, but I can't, I can't do it. It's falling apart. And I said, I said to my buddy, I said, man, here's what you need to do. You need to go and you need to crawl in that bed with your wife. And you need to wrap your arms around her. And you got to say, honey, I don't know how long it's going to be dark. And I don't know how long you're going to be like this, but I'm not going anywhere. And I love you. And I love you in the darkness. And until God calls you out of this darkness, I'm here for you. I'm not going to try to fix you. I'm not going to try to tell you what's wrong. I'm just going to come. I'm going to love you right where you are. I could just feel Jesus' pleasure when I gave him that advice. Why? Because that's Jesus' love for us. Do we get it? Do we get it, the fact that he entered into our mess? Do we get it that Jesus crawled into our bed of sin and sickness and selfishness? Our depression, our despair, our depravity. He came to where we are in all of our brokenness. And he found us there. And for some of us, he had to go really, really, really deep into the depths of brokenness and sin and depravity. And he saw us and he found us there. And he held us in the midst of our spots, in the midst of our wrinkles, in the midst of our brokenness. He came and he loved and he held you ready for this? Our disease became his disease. Our brokenness became his brokenness. And our sin became his sin. And our spots became his spots. And our wrinkles became his wrinkles. And the sinless one absorbed all of our junk and our brokenness and our sin so we could be healed. Listen, He loves us. He loves us here today. He sees us. He sees the reality of who we are today. And now, 
we get the privilege of loving in His name. Now we get the privilege of loving each other the way He loves us. You see, we got to realize, husbands, this doesn't mean that we love our wives in such a way that we remove their spots. We remove their wrinkles. We make their life better. We give them love. We can't love them with a type of love that removes anything. The reality is, as broken sinners, we're adding to their spots. We're adding to their wrinkles. We're adding to their burdens. Because we're sinful. But God has called us now to go and love as Christ loved the church. Go and wrap your arms around the brokenness. Go in love in the midst of despair. And you know, it's, it's interesting as we date one another is, is that time in life to say, well, now I really see them for who they are and I, I, I couldn't be with them. Now I see them for who they are and I, I must stop liking them. But you see, when God calls us, into a marital relationship, He gives us the privilege of seeing us, seeing them as they are more fully in their brokenness, their faults and their foibles. And He says, go and love them in My name. And it becomes so much more about Him and so much less about us. It becomes so much more amazing of a love story because it's His love story, not our love story. And we don't get it unless we realize that Jesus did it for us. Does it make sense? The only way we can do it as He entered into our brokenness, our sinfulness, our spots, our foibles. Mueller said that there wasn't a day that went by after his wife died that he didn't realize what a great loss it was losing his wife. He says, the orphanage isn't the same. My life isn't the same. And he continually prayed that God would give him perfect peace. And here's what he said. He says, I, can, I kiss continually the hand that has thus afflicted me. I kiss continually the hand that has thus afflicted me. But I also say I shall meet her again to spend a happy eternity with her. You see, Mueller knew that Jesus loved him. And Jesus knew that, and Mueller knew that Jesus loved his wife Mary. And that through his life, death, and resurrection, he had hope. And that's the second point, and the last one. God, first of all, calls us to love the spots and the wrinkles. Secondly, in loving in the darkness, He calls us to love every moment. Do you trust God with your lives right now? Right now. Do you trust God with your life right now? See, I got a problem with that because I'm having a hard time with the now. I don't have any problem in trusting God with the past. I truly believe that Jesus came and paid for all my sins. I believe that they were nailed to the cross. I believe that I have been cleansed and whiter than snow. I have no problem believing that Jesus healed my past. I have no problem believing that Jesus has a plan for my future. I believe that I do have a future, and in Christ so do you. That He has a plan for us, not to, prosper, not to harm us, but to give us hope and a future. I know that. But I am having a hard time trusting Him in the now. Can I trust Him in this moment? In a sense, I know I'm out of Egypt. I know that slavery of sin has been dealt with. I know that there's a promised land. But I'm in this desert of the last 12 months and I'm tasting this yucky manna and I'm really tired of it. I'm tired of marinating right now. Can I trust Him for the now? I read a... Sorry, I should have mentioned his name again. I read another Englishman's book, Lewis, A Grief Observed. And it made me realize something really profound. Someday I'm going to die. 
Someday, Katie's going to die. You know it. I know it. It's like death and taxes. It's going to come to all of us, right? But you know what I did this last week? I cried. I cried over my wife's mortality. I went away. And I got, I, we, we just went out, and I just had to slip away, and I just had to weep over the reality that someday, and it shouldn't be anytime soon. She's doing great. It really, we should have years together. Our prognosis is fantastic. Don't think this is doom and gloom. It's not. But I just wept over the fact that someday I'm not going to have her. Or someday she's not going to have me and I'm 44 years old and I didn't think I had to weep over that yet. But somehow God wanted me to live my life knowing how fragile it is. And you know the beauty of that? Is it really makes me love her in the now. Someday I'm not going to have her. And someday she's going to be gone. I don't know about tomorrow, but I got today. Okay, the truth is to be known. I hate country music and all those who listen to it. (laughs) That's not true. I do like a couple country music songs, and I love many of you who like it. I don't know why when God has given us classic rock, classical music, jazz, all this great music, why you would choose to listen to country But the one that maybe slides under the bar of being fairly okay, Tim McGraw's Live Like You Were Dying. Don't quite get it. If you understand that you're going to be dying, he's doing things like jumping out of airplanes and riding bulls. To me, if I know that I'm dying, I'm going to hold on to everything I love and never let go. But the Apostle Paul has a unique way of talking about living and loving in the moment. And it's this. Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.10 that he is always carrying in the body. Listen, it's kind of weird. He's always carrying the body, the death of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. He said, he said he's always carrying by faith in his own body the reality that Jesus died for his sins. The reality that death has been destroyed. He carries in his body the death of Christ so that the life of Christ may be revealed to those around him. And basically he's saying, because of Jesus' dying, I'm going to live like I'm really living. The only way Mueller could continually kiss the hand that afflicted him is because he knew that through the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, he would see his beloved again and spend eternity with her. But there's more important, through the reality of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we will see him someday face to face. We will be with Him. You see, the goal isn't to have Jesus so we'll be with our loved ones. The goal is to have Jesus so we will see Him as He is. And be able to worship Him forever. The One who's conquered death and sin on our behalf. But the reality is this, is that now that Jesus has come and He he has conquered our greatest enemy, our greatest fear, death itself, now that He has opened up life and life eternally, He says we must live our lives in the moment in a different way. We must live for Him. We don't know about tomorrow, but we can trust Him with tomorrow. 
Because if our worst fears are realized and we bury our children, we bury our spouses, we bury our parents, we know that in Christ Jesus, death doesn't have victory, life does. So now we live our lives in the moment for Him, saying, God, you've given me life and you give me life eternal. And I don't know how many days you've given me here to love my kids, but I want to love them well today. And I don't know how many days you've given me to love my wife, but man, do I want to love her well in Christ's name today. And I don't know how many days you've given me to love my congregation, but do, do I want to love her well today. I want to live for this moment. Because I don't know how many moments I got. Neither do you. Carrying the death of Jesus in our bodies so that the life of Jesus may be seen in our bodies. What he's telling us here is this, is even in the darkness, even in that darkest place, because Jesus is the light of the world and that darkness couldn't overcome Him, the light still shines. Life reigns. We can live in the moment for Him. And we can trust Him for all eternity. We started this sermon with a hero. We're going to end it with a hero. I might mispronounce his name. Robertson McQuilkin. I get it right? They're nodding their head because they know about Robertson because they went to Columbia Bible College and seminary. He was president... He and his wife, Muriel, had an amazing ministry right there uh, on the campus of Columbia Bible College and Seminary. She had her own radio show. Both were really well known in the community and on that campus for amazing lovers of Jesus. And then 42 years into his marriage, his wife Muriel is contracted or diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. And very slowly, she fades away to the point where it's either he has to step down and retire or has to have her institutionalized for care. So what he did is he says, I'm going to resign. I'm going to, I'm going to resign from being this president and I'm going to care for my wife because 42 years ago, I said for better or for worse until death, do us part. But I love what he says. He says, I don't have to care for her. I get to care for her. In the midst of her mind slipping away, and life as we knew it, all but gone. I get to love her. I get to care for her. I get to be with her. You see, that, that's a Christ-like love. That's loving your wife as Christ loved the church. And the reality that all of us should hear in the whispers of our soul, our Savior say to all of us, I don't have to love her. I don't have to love you. I get to love you. I get to love you right where you are. In the midst of all your brokenness, I get to enter in and hold you right there and whisper saying, I see you and I love you. I know you. You're mine. And I get to love you and take care of you. That's good news. May each of us marinate deeply in the love of Christ. 
the love of Christ that will love us in the midst of all of our spots and wrinkles in this darkness. The love of Christ in this very moment with all the baggage that we bring in here and all the brokenness. May that love of Christ transform us. May we allow through the Holy Spirit for Him to come and wrap His arms around us again in love so that we can go and love others in His name. So that we can marinate again in the love of Christ. So this whole world will see that we carry the death of Christ. But what is manifest in this church and in our lives is the aroma of Christ. That He lives and because He lives, we live too. Let us pray. Father, I thank You that by Your loving, sovereign hand, You have led Katie and me into a dark valley, a dark night of our soul called cancer. And God, I thank You that by Your grace, Our prognosis is so good. But God, I sit here among friends who by Your grace the prognosis wasn't so good. And I confess, I don't have the faith of Mueller and others who could kiss so readily and so frequently the hand that brought cancer and death, divorce, and brokenness or allowed them to pass through His hand. But God, I thank You for the lessons You've taught me and I pray that You're teaching us that You love us in the darkness. And Jesus is the light of the world. And that You have entered in, Jesus, into all of our brokenness and loved us right there. And that love has made us whole. And that love has made us holy and blameless. That blood has washed us from all of our sin. Without a spot or wrinkle, Father, You see Christ's church because of the love of Jesus. And now may we love You back and love others well. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.